You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between the Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Heard through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com, like Heard Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Heard Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this week's episode of Heard. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I'm Joe Hakeem, and tonight I'm joined by Jason. Hey. Nick. Hello, Joe. <laughs> Hello, Nick. <laughs> and hospitality consultant Genevieve Jonah. Genevieve, thanks Hello. for being with us. See, we got two out of four sexy time voices. That's pretty good. <laughs> or you have three. <laughs> Who, who's the odd one out? Jason? You. Yeah, you didn't do oh, me? Just me. Oh, I'm, no, I'm Jason always sounds sexy. It's you. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, guys, let's start with some uh, pretty big news. Um, Lafayette Coney Island, which has historically been known as a, uh, it's a late night dining spot. When do they close? I, I don't think they don't? I don't think they do. I think well, they going. used to be 24 hours. Yeah. And now recently in the last year, they started closing at three or really? four, depending on the business. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. And they reopen at what time? Do you know? I have no idea. No. I'm, I'm not in there the in the wee hours of the morning. Yeah. <laughs> well, so they are, they have always been cash only until this week, and now now they are finally accepting credit cards, which I think is a huge shift. Well, it's a personal; it's totally a personal call on their point because their their products are pretty dang cheap, so their margins are probably slim, and now they're slimmer because of credit cards. I, I think the slim margins of the credit card credit card processing is not. Something. You don't think it's a thing anymore. I don't. I don't know. I, I think that it's got to be built into the prices to some extent. That means their prices need to go up, which I'm fine with actually, because I think it's a shame that people come in from all over mm-hmm. and they hear about our Coney's right. and how it's not Coney Island, New York, and why is it called Coney and blah blah blah. And they need to be able, or they should be able to experience the Coney, and they don't know to bring cash. The problem with that is, though, is like Joe said. I think my my only thing with that is. That is such a bare bones experience. If you, let's say you charge a dollar more for that, you know, Coney, people are going to be like, well, why am I eating it in this, you know, kind of beat up establishment? Why do I have to go down these death stairs to go to the bathroom? I I don't (laughs) think that that's any. uh, But I'm just saying, I feel like it's a slippery slope then. If you raise the prices, then, you know, no, it has to be the charm. Right. And that's why as soon as you raise the price, I think some of that charm is gone. But we're talking about. Say, say a Coney at Lafayette. I don't, I don't know the prices offhand, but say it's a dollar fifty. Right for my wingdings, it is four ninety nine. Four ninety nine for a six piece, and they raise the price to five fifty. Because... I never read there. So. <laughs> I mean, and five fifty, right? So, so like you're you're fifty cents. It's of my belief that most customers do not notice the shift in price of fifty cents to a dollar a dish. And Jason, you know, like with Honest John's, if you guys raised all of your prices across the board a dollar, would anyone notice? Uh, a small, a very small minority. 
people that have been going there for a really long time. But then also it's like there's price and there's value. And so, you know, specifically at Honest John's the last few years, it's gotten cleaner. It's hopefully, you know, services standards are a little higher. So there's the neighborhood is growing up around it. So it's like, yeah, a dollar isn't, I don't think, uh, you know, deal breaking. It's price and value. And so the value of the Coney experience could certainly probably in my I mean I would never notice you're going to go to Coney for the experience like I'm not going to I don't even if they charge me nine or ten dollars I'm not going to know the difference you know <laughs> yeah fucking pay it. And, and the other Total side of it is Total, right yeah. how, how much yeah. business do they lose because they don't take credit cards and, the, and people go to American next door that does a no, lot sure. and to think about this now that the city is booming and there's all these businesses that are up and running around them where it was like that was like a you know a small walk from campus marshes or mm-hmm. like the alley one building now everything around them is booming mm-hmm. so are you going to really take the time to go to an ATM just to get the Coney experience if you work in the city? No, you're not. You're going to use your credit card. So I'm I'm all for it. I just feel sad that they have to go through the whole hassle of the, you know, that transition is tough. I've seen a lot of businesses go through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's one that um, it comes up all the time for us at Ackroyd's because we're an older business. And people always, one of the first questions I'll ask is like, do you, do you guys take credit cards? And I'll say something like, yeah, we take anything that, you know, anything that's plastic really. And um, some people are surprised. Generally well, I mean, surprised. you guys are, I mean, your space isn't as dumpy as uh, Coney. <laughs> I mean, like your door it's does kind of fall off the hitch every once in a while. <laughs> I did almost get attacked by the door You once. did. You did. Yeah. And that was, that's not even our, that's not even the business side. That's the, that's the office side. <laughs> now, the other thing that gives them a lot of opportunity, which is the plus side of credit cards, as we all know, is the tip line. When people read mm, the tip line. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They feel more inclined to tip because right. that's just a part right. of our culture now. So that kind of covers the, tr- the credit card processing fees for people that want to. You might spend more too, exactly. because I bet their their average ticket costs will go up. Because maybe you know you're you know I feel like sometimes credit card money is made up money. You know it's monopoly money. Yep. Whereas you know your money is you're like holding it and touching it and feeling it. But then a credit card, psh, I don't know, just out of some magic you know fairyland somewhere. But what do we know? How do we know what's going to happen to those guys that work at Coney with the credit card transaction fees? Are those going to come out of their tips? Because I certainly hope not. Yep. Also something to think about, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a multitude of issues on both sides of this. I mean, overwhelmingly, it's probably going to be positive, I would imagine, for them. It will increase their business, mm-hmm. I, I imagine. And then it will, you know, it'll affect, it may affect American a little conversely, you know, because now people can go into Lafayette and use a credit card, whereas, you know. I've had, but I've, you, but you also have the argument on both sides of Lafayette versus American, and there are a pe- the diehard Lafayette people that were like, "Fuck it, yep, I'm, I'm yeah. using that ATM, even if I have no cash. I, I would rather do that than ever step into America." Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. So I, I'm one of those. So how how many of you guys carry cash, like fairly regularly? Cash is one. king. All day in the hospitality because industry. You, so I because do. of tips. Do you get tips? Well, no, because I like to give tips and because mm-hmm. of what I just said. Sure. So I always want to be able to tip my bartenders in a way where I know that they're not going to receive my tip later, not knowing what I tipped them because of the batch. I, I like to make that connection. Mm-hmm. And I also, you just never know when someone's credit card machine is going to be down or if a chip is going to be read wrong or whatever. I just love carrying cash and I use my credit cards for necessities. Hospitality is a luxury and it is not a necessity for most people. Yeah, I rarely carry cash. Jason? I rarely carry cash. I but I, when I do carry cash or when I have it for whatever reason, 
I always go to the potato place or the Coney. <laughs> yep. Those are like, you know, the so, potato and, place. And I, and I carry cash for a few reasons. For businesses that don't accept credit cards, mm-hmm. I will go out of my way for that, do that. Um, medical marijuana. They don't take credit cards. It's a cash only oh, business. Yeah. And then that's uh, also why I have cash. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that's it. For, is that for, why you have your marijuana shirt on? This, this is a tropical shirt, it's, it's a, <laughs> but I do have something funny to share because as, as we know, today's nine 11, you know, and there's that, that, wow, that's a rough segue. I, well, you know, it, it'll be a funny segue. Once I read this, um, marketing email, uh, text message I got this morning. Oh God. Good morning. Today is the 17th anniversary of the tragic attack on our country. To do our part and to honor our fallen brothers and sisters, we'll be offering five grams, no. one eighth ounces no. all day today. <laughs> no. Hurry down and get five grams for the price of three and a half grams. We will never forget American and proud. Nope. No. But well. aren't they really by proxy saying that they want you to forget by something? <laughs> we had this, this conversation earlier with a couple other people. I had this conversation. Yes. And... um. There's certain things you don't try to make money on. And you see the onion national po- tragedy is probably yes, that. That's one. The onion posted something today. It was, uh, I think, a subway commercial, oh. and it was like two foot long, straight <laughs> up and down, and like it says, like fly in for savings. Well, if you want to be really, uh, you want to laugh, be offended, whatever, whatever path you go down, there, type in to YouTube nine uh, eleven mattress commercial. <sighs> so there is a, I don't know what mattress shop it was, but they thought it'd be a good idea to run a nine eleven special. Uh, uh, where you got deals on twin. No, nope, yeah, nope, and, oh, and, nope, nope. And so this woman's standing there and she's like, they're saying twins. Yes, those queens and then kings. And then all of a sudden she's like everything. And she knocks them both back down to a stack of mattresses and both the mattresses fall. Both the towers of mattresses fall. And then she said at the end, we will never forget. The Facebook mm. post that I got today or <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> we are talking about it. <laughs> tomorrow on Facebook from 846 mm. till Till 10.28 a.m., everyone on Facebook should be silent. No posting or chat from the time the first plane hit until the last building dropped. Exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. If you like this, and this is all in caps, if you like this, repost it. Everyone should be reposting it. It is the least we can do. Exclamation forever. Let's turn Facebook silent as a mark of respect. We failed, America. (laughs) I um, (laughs) am. So I got that from a a C-level member of my former company and i really get messages from him so what he, level were you at not c <laughs> d, d? You a, a, uh d? c b i was a c to d <laughs> well no it, i guess if he's a anyway but like c levels like ceo cfo yeah, c okay yeah. yeah so he he had he had sent me this and i was just like wow that's um because he's a new yorker okay so I, I there was a personal connection for him but yeah, that was interesting. Was it wasn't uh, uh, like a virus or like <laughs> his account was no hacked? he's no he's he's way smarter than that. Oh okay, but interesting. Yeah, all right. Well, don't don't use nine eleven as a marketing no. tactic. Yeah. Never. If if, if we can give you heard. one lesson, yeah, from Herd Podcast, <laughs> we we rarely give marketing advice. That's but the one. Here's here's the one thing. Don't use nine eleven as a marketing unless tactic. you're going to serve paper planes on special at your oh, bar. No, <laughs> just wow. a bad joke. Oh, <laughs> she went there. <laughs> no right. longer consults in the hospitality. <laughs> Can you know what we should do? <laughs> Can we talk about the big booze holiday that happened this week? Yes, please. International Canned Cocktail Day. Yeah, is that really a thing? No, no. 
So oh, you made it up? I made it up. You made it up? I literally said, how do you make a... Like, how do these people get these holidays? Why is there National Bourbon Day? Why is there National Rum Day? Basically, National Red Wine Day. National exactly. Red Wine Day. National Cabaret Day. Or, or Cabernet. Cabaret. There's probably a Cabaret Day, too. <laughs> there probably is. Sure. <laughs> but, and I just said, okay, I want to make a day. I want to make a day. So I, like, pulled up the calendar, because I have a list of all the booze holidays. I found a good little gap, which was September, uh, September 10th. And well, it's it's the second Monday in September, so it'll be different next year. Yeah. But the thought is, boom, International Can Cocktail Day, and I thought it was interesting because a we have a bunch of companies in Michigan that are making canned cocktails, but they've been getting tons of write ups. So like Forbes wrote about it, uh, New York Times has written about it, Supercall, Vice, it uh, being canned cocktails. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and all it all happened this year, and some of them did it last year too. So I think this was the year to kind of celebrate canned cocktails. It's a great idea. Yeah, it was fun. We I was on the news in the morning. I did something on the TV show. It was a hoot. You you got canned cocktail day on the news, yeah. Oh wow! Congratulations. Thank you. Yes. So there <laughs> you go. I'm proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have an international canned cocktail day website? Yeah, cannedcocktailday.com. Do you really? Yeah. Nice. CCD. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Jesus. There you go. So you wait till next year. I actually had one. I had one blogger uh, blog about it too. I, I'm sorry. I just want to know what Jason thinks about this because his face is saying so much and they can't see that. Well, we, <laughs> you know. well, we tried. We tried some canned cocktails actually on Sunday when we talked to Eric. Uh, um, that that Gosling is delicious. Er, Eric. Uh, 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 Eric Castro. Castro. Yeah. Bartender Large. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so, some of the others weren't as good. Yeah. And I'm not going to say which ones are good because they were very nice. And gave me cocktails, so I won't mention that. Yeah, the Goslings one, though. I mean, the the bar was high because they really they really go after good. people for. Uh, they're like the official uh, dark and stormy yeah. brand, trademark trademark, yeah. and most you know a lot of people don't recognize that, but that's their thing. According to them, they own the dark and stormy thing, so they had to pretty much go hard with the with the can dark and stormy. I thought it was good. Um, on the TV show, we popped open the uh, uh, slow and slow. Mm. The um uh that was the forty two percent cocktail. Oh damn. Um forty two percent. Forty two percent. So oh, it I was a tiny can. It was a tiny, tiny can. Wow. And it's basically an old fashioned. So it's, it's a, a four loco. Oh no. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> um but that was the highest one because that was that was basically it's straight boost. Forty two percent speed. Forty two percent alcohol. <laughs> but if you look at some of those cocktails, they're like eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve percent. Yeah. I mean, these are big cocktails. And a lot of them are two servings. So what is the ABV of a cocktail normally? I, I don't even, I, I've never, we've never even glossed well, if over seven, that. If seven is the average. Really that low? Yeah, that low. After you shake it, it's two ounces of, of like, uh, usually a cocktail. Let's generalize for okay. a moment. A cocktail is two ounces of liquor. Okay. Which is at 40%. So, but if you're making a craft cocktail. Okay. You're adding more you're things. Maybe you have your aperitifs, your Jesus tips, or whatever, you know, so you're adding more, it's a higher ABV cocktail. That's why everyone always says, oh my gosh, craft cocktails get me messed up. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Um, but a regular cocktail, if you're going to have a rum and coke, is usually around seven or eight, which is shocking to people because that's what the ABV of a beer is. Right. It was like, well, that's four or five, but actually. less so than a wine. More. But less than a wine. But less right. than a wine. Yeah. Wow. Although I did, I had the uh, Bourbon County flight at H Honest John's yesterday because it's Bourbon County Beer Week. They've got kegs of fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen. That shit was like fourteen point one percent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, because it's beer that's been sucking all the alcohol out of the bourbon barrel. And that's well, bourbon speaking bourbon barrels, but that's been what's been happening for the last eight years, I believe. That bourbon barrel anything, and everyone realizes that it. Ups the ABV, so everyone's into it, and I like that. I'm into it. I mean, I, I'm I, a fan. I did the first, the first four or five sips. Uh, I'm all on board. The next, <laughs> the next thirty two, I'm like, I'm, I'm good. 
Well, it does what wine does, right? It creates that you want to, you, well, you need it. That pucker. it's also that coating. I mean, yeah. it's it's thick, it's Mouth chewy, feel. it's yeah. I'm, uh, I mean, again, it's very filling. It was yeah, very rich. I, I I appreciate what they do. I just it's tough for me to put away a whole bottle, especially the sixteen point nines of Bourbon County. Jeez, I mean, those are big bottles too. Yeah, they're meant to be shared, right? They yeah. have to be. Oh, th- yeah. Some yeah, yeah. people don't. I was don't. struggling with 12 ounces. That was the flight, three, four ounce uh, snifters or whatever, and I was struggling okay. with that. But again, I'm not a, I'm not a beer guy, as we all know, but right. I was trying to get into it. Hennessy. Hennessy flight, you'll be all over. I mean. <laughs> Cognac's the yak, baby. <laughs> yeah. So, Eric, we were talking about bars last or last week-ish, ha- last half week, and we were talking about like agave bars and rum bars, and he's like, why not a Cognac bar? And I've never even thought of that. Really? Ever? You've never thought about a cognac well, bar? Well, I don't. There's like four in the liquor book in Michigan. Well, right, but that's because one, there's not that much cognac because we're a liquor controlled state, so we right. don't get that much cognac, and there's so much out there that we just can't get our hands sure. on yet. So if someone wants to do the work for us, then we will open some cognac bars. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, I think especially if you bring in brandy and piscos and things like that. Well, yeah, and we have like a small amount of that as well, but the demand is just not as high because we have loyal cognac drinkers in Detroit. Like so Jason. it's going to be a brandy bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'd go check it out. I'll be I'll be honest with you. I mean, I've you know been drinking Hennessy for a very long time, but uh, that's mostly a result of moving to the city of Detroit at a young age, you know, twenty some years ago, and just um, soaking up the neighborhood culture, and so it just became a thing. And then once I started getting into um, bourbon and rye and whiskey, and that you know, in the last few years, I've noticed going back to cognac that. It's very sweet yeah. and the yeah. light relative to, you know, what I drink a lot of these days. Um, so I don't know where I'm at with that. And it's funny when they say, like, the next thing to replace bourbon is going to be rum or it's going to be There is tequila. no replacing. Well, oh, and, right. like, and, to, and to her point, though, it's like in Michigan, there's not enough cognacs. I mean, I've been fortunate that, like, that, you know, the Hennessy people have been great. They've brought uh, one of their luxury reps out from New York and they came to the Sugar House and they tasted us on some of those like, um, you know, really high end, yeah. like really old. I think the the Parity XO or something along those are Parity Imperial. I mean, he, they were like a blend of 60 to 130 year old wow. Udavés. I mean, it's just mind blowing to think that. 30, $40 you, bottle? Well, yeah. So, well, to, and then going on off of what you said, I started in wine. Well, I started in food and then I went into wine and I studied wine, 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 wine. And you, as you know, like Hennessy especially is made from Ugni Blanc, which is a really special grape. And so if you're into wine, then you're automatically kind of into cognac. I mean, sure, it's right. like so hard to not be into cognac. Then it's, it's really cool that you had that back and forth journey from cognac to whiskey because like I said, I don't think anything ever gets replaced. It's really just a cyclical event and then maybe we're introduced sometimes like aquavit you know some people are being introduced to aquavit now whereas some people have been experiencing it their whole lives right. same with sambuca i never forget two years ago i gave a guy sambuca and he said oh my gosh i've never had anything like this sambuca is one of the older spirits right. on your bar that people still keep just to keep mm-hmm. so you just i just don't believe in the i'm not even bashing you i just i just never no, no, think no, no, anything's no, no, no. replaced it's it's a trend yeah. it's a trending thing Crap, well, shoulder yeah. pads came back in with Lady Gaga, like, you know, <laughs> come on. Jägermeister. <laughs> yeah. It's back. They're, a, they're trying hard. Yeah. Well, yeah. <coughs> yeah, I don't know. I haven't heard too much in the last six months, but in the last year and a half, I've definitely 
they definitely push pretty hard and I, I try to reposition like, themselves into the uh, Amaro category. Well, especially with Fernet. I feel like yeah. Fernet, uh, Fernet, there he goes. I knew Bronca. you were going to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, they went really hard and they are, you know, they're so strong in the bartender community. Then Amaro started kind of coming up with them as well. And I think Jaeger was just like, well, we want some of this. So yeah, I don't, I don't they? think they ever really died. But they definitely were thought of as a club drink. But people felt like they did. Because I, when right, I was growing right. up, I drank enough Jaeger oh, yeah. to feel like I was a walking zombie. I, I mean, I saw a uh, Jaeger and Red Bull end cap at Meyer the other day. So there you go. <laughs> my, my heart's fluttering right now. A, le- yeah. a legitimate like Jaeger and Red Bull end cap. <laughs> Wow. Just well, own so, it. so they haven't of... given away that. They haven't given away that category. They just tried to move into. What? No, it was good. I I'm, like it. I'm, I'm, I talked hand, with my hands. hand signals. They did well for the lions. Well, I mean, no, I mean, you were saying about canned cocktail day. You're talking about a cognac bar being interesting. How about is anyone speaking of Red Bull and Jaeger thought about craft shots? The new age of instead of a redheaded slut, instead of a Johnny Vegas, probably Will Lee. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, right, and so it, like we call what do we call them here? We call them, uh, you know, can I can I get a, a rip? We say can I get a rip, and I get a rip of Montenegro, and you know whatever, and gin. Sometimes I get a rip of uh, a snackery, yep, um, a daiquiri, and what I really think is important for um, not only revenue. But for craft cocktail bars to, um, instead of being like, oh, you just want a shot, you know, you don't want a, a drink off of our menu. Because really, it's the personal, it's the personal feeling of why chefs don't wait tables. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's very similar to me as I watch the it separation. in the hospitality industry sure. is that they are putting so much effort into their craft. And so it's hard. Unless you're Garrett Lepar at Albina when I went on Sunday and he very humbly cleared our plates and filled up Lisa's Ugh. LaCroix water. And, oh, yeah. I uh, went through so many cans of LaCroix. His humble hospitality yeah. was... Um, that makes me so happy. ...very impressive. Mm-hmm. So he's he's doing all the... He's plating and like... Well, yeah. it's it's it was he such an interesting experience. Like an because, assistant and a half. Yeah. Okay. there's They only have three people that do the entire operation. It's Garrett, his sous chef, I believe her name was Emily. And, and, and Tiffany. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. and that's his partner. And, so, and um, it was great. I mean, when we walked in, she was like, oh, you must be Jason. And I'm like, I am. She obviously <laughs> took the time to, you know, look at the reservations. I mean, there's not that many of them, but I was really impressed by, in addition to obviously the food and the plating and that sort of caliber um, that you don't see that often. But yeah, like Garrett was so great about just coming over and talking about everything. And, um, you know, everything was so intentional and well thought out in terms of the presentation and the execution and you know um there was another couple that came in maybe 15 minutes after us at like we had a 545 seating but everybody didn't necessarily show up at the same time so when we sat down i mean they basically just got us started another couple came in later and it was very it just seemed so natural that they ate a little bit faster we were taking a little bit more time but nothing was rushed you know our meal was exactly perfect for us. Theirs was exactly perfect for them. And yeah, I mean, Garrett in between all that was definitely like busting the empty plates, filling up the waters. I mean, you know, just continuing the conversation. So pretty fantastic. Genevieve, you're, you're very interested in design, right? So I wonder with the, with a setup like this, there's how many seats there? Eight. Eight seats. What is the design like? Do you, do you recall? Oh, I do because it, it, to me, it made an impression on me because, um, and I purposely didn't read like Mark's review ahead of time or I didn't really do too much research. I'd never gone to Torino and I was, uh, I mean, I was familiar with him going to Moray, but I mean, I, that's not the kind of place that I go out of my way to, you know, go to. So I was really excited about this experience, but 
you know, it was very, um, very minimal um, in that sense. The uh, the eight seats felt very much like you were in a high end home at somebody's kitchen, like just sitting there observing everything that's going on. Um, I mean, it's pretty brand new, but everything was spotless. But there was nothing. Again, I say kind of humble hospitality, kind of humble in design as well. I guess after reading Mark's article that some of the style that he's um, associated with is like the new Nordic. It felt very European to me um, being in there. Um, and, and I wouldn't call it – well, I would say it was kind of minimalistic. I wouldn't say – it wasn't like stark though. No, it wasn't Like stark. it was like stones and woods. Yeah. And, um, there just wasn't a lot of like, you know, bling. So I feel like – and on that note. What you guys just described is my one of my perfect hospitality, you know, experiences. And what I really love to try to show restaurateurs or people that maybe have never worked in the restaurant industry before that are opening up these restaurants or maybe the money behind it, if you will, um, that you can actually create that environment with the bling, without the bling, with whatever aesthetic you want. You can create that. The key is just to make sure that everybody can do their jobs as if, like, as well as possible. Just like how any chef would design a kitchen to make sure that they can, you know, be efficient and, and get it out and that your food is still hot and that everything is just a nice, smooth dance. Cause that's what I was hearing from you is that it was oh, a yeah. comfortable, just experience where it's a well oiled machine and that's a rarity. Well, I, uh, I related it back to, um, I was reading about Steve Jobs in the past and one of his philosophies towards design that, was manifested in Apple was, you know, when you see something in that case, a product that works so intuitively and it's so, and the idea of simplicity, but simplicity is, is actually a very difficult thing to achieve because it takes a lot of thought and refinement and an iterative process of testing design, you know, and changing until you get, you distill down to the essence, which was why the iPhone became so popular because it was just, it just worked, you know, and and it's breaking down the ego too. So like, you know, and when I've talked to people that are designing bars or, you know, and doing anything, even a cocktail, as you know, and I'm sure you guys know this, it's like the editing process. If you can bring yourself to edit it down, you will find that happy groove. But if you're fighting it and you're resisting it because of what you want other people to see, not experience, that's where I feel like the disconnect is. That That's, you know. Yeah, and so you, you, you made a point about like th- this kind of like dance and well-oiled machine. Like how, how are some bars designed that are, that go, that are uh, antithetical to that? Like, the opposite of how that is functional. Oh, like so? Are you asking me to explain what an uh, the opposite of a well-oiled machine? Is? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like because I feel like oh, oh, I have the best uh, example for you. One of the first jobs I ever had. You can't fit a bus tub, so I was a bar back, but you cannot fit a bus tub through the swinging. You know the old school swinging salon. I mean, salon. we've all worked. I don't know. I have worked behind a lot of bars that have those even nice bars. Like yep. still have them for some reason. I have no idea why. Um. I'm pretty sure everyone in America and any country knows not to walk behind a bar. But, you know, just in case. Uh, <laughs> make it harder for a food runner by all means yeah. if you have food. Anyways, the point, of the point yeah. is, is that I could not for the life of me and I'm 5'1", 110 pounds and, you know, whatever. I could not get – even if I like gymnastics my way through this, um, you know, what – can I swear on here? Yeah. Asshole alley. Uh, <laughs> you know, so if people are standing there and they don't know, thank God for those wagon doors. Um you could, I could not fit a bus tub through there. It was so hard. So I started lifting it above my head because I didn't know better and mm-hmm. I was 17 and I started lifting the sometimes glassware 
Because <laughs> that's what you have, though. And so I've, you know, as I get older, I find that I see kids doing things like this, and I'm like, hey, thanks for the initiative. Like, I get it. Like this, that you don't know how to get it back here, and you have someone yelling at you mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. if you should know right. what you should do. Should he go over a guest's shoulder? With that bus tub that the bartender's been barking at them for? I mean, that's the, that's like one example of what could make a, something a opposite of a well-oiled machine. Let's yeah. just let name the well, not well-oiled machine, the shit machine. Because <laughs> um, well, they, they have this beautiful bar and there's marble everywhere and there's people screaming for drinks everywhere. But they just can't get the resources that they need from the design of what a hospitality industry is, which is like if you're a food runner, you have your busser. If they can't do their jobs and the support staff can't do their jobs because your bar is beautiful, I get – I frustrated just because I've worked in it. I, and I don't know what it's like from the public's view because a lot of them have never been bartenders before, you know? So, and, and I get heated because it, it, it's so frustrating because you have this blank canvas and you have all this money to put into something that could, you know, and you have all these talented people that they're hiring on. And it's like, why are we not talking about what the most important thing is? It's just to make sure everyone can do their job. I call it TT terminal time. If you have guests, and let's just say you have four lines deep of 10 guests, and your terminal to ring in those guests' uh, orders is in the way of you ever being able to make eye contact with them, mm. that bartender never gets their TT, which means that you could go clinically insane because if you are busy and you have an eight-hour rush, that's just endless lines of people coming up to you and giving you their orders. You're missing out on tips, relationships, everything. You're not teaching the guests to wait, especially at a craft cocktail bar, which always shocks me when people don't don't design it so that you can turn your back like they've been doing since Prohibition. Ching, like mm-hmm. nobody ever rang it up while looking at them. Like <laughs> you know what I mean? But now with our iPads and all of our crazy POS machines, we are forced to look our customers are like, you're looking at me, even though you're not. You're trying to remember the last uh, eight orders that you took. I get it. Okay. These are just minute things that I just want to share with people that are like so little but so important. Like where you put your computer, you are saving someone's life or even their job because they may not quit on you then. Or they may not like make your establishment look bad because of their anger outburst. So are, are you saying that someone, a guest, might assume that a, a bartender is looking at them while they're ringing in an order? Is that when a you're... bartender is ter- facing the crowd at which they order – they automatically assume that you can listen and multitask, which mm-hmm. most of us can. Mm-hmm. But now think about these huge craft cocktail bars that we're building in Detroit right now or, or that have been all over New York or wherever. And there is nowhere to run, nowhere to hide for – if you're working a double, I mean you have nowhere to go. You have not even a moment to not smile. I mean it's emotionally taxing. So I want my staff to be happy and authentic. I don't want them to be having to like put on this like crazy. It needs to be a right, a natural as like dance, like Jason described. So these my small minute details are what honestly crash and burn the machine, in my opinion. It, so in all, because then you can't uh, retain staff. <laughs> I, I think it's it's tough to find that information online. Well, you can't. You it's need, experience. <laughs> well, you need a you. That's the thing. You need a you. So I put together a small bar at the studio. And even things like counter height and like where to put like all the plumbing and things like that does not exist. There's one book I found on like how to like mm-hmm. buy for a kitchen and that's it. And I don't think anyone's like, I mean, this could be a thing you could totally do. Well, this is what I want to do. This right. is what I'm hoping to do because of my five foot one ass self, <laughs> you know, 
reaching on ladders, mm-hmm. doing all this crazy stuff, going underneath, going up elevators, going upstairs, going downstairs, not, you know, to get all of these crazy whiskeys or whatever, you know, liquor people are looking for because the you can never say no to your customer. Right. I've never believed in doing that. I don't want to do that. And the thing is, when I say, oh, I'd be happy to do that for you, I am. I'm just frustrated that I can't do it for them right that second. Right. So how, how about townhouse? Actually- <laughs> townhouse Birmingham? Yeah, I was a host. Setup? That was one of my first jobs. So um, they have like like 22 buildings across Birmingham. Yes. And what? so the, the restaurant, the restaurant that the public sees is one face. Yeah. There's the storage. Well, there's the kitchen that's outside of the restaurant. Across the, was that a hotel or apartment? Uh, um, it, it, well, yeah, they have their offices across from there. And I will say this, that is the city of Birmingham purposely making it hard, hard for any kind of, you know, I don't know if you were familiar with the Hamilton Room or any of these older bars mm. that were kind of clubbish. Okay. Uh, they were clubby. And at the time when, uh, they opened, when Heirloom Hospitality opened Townhouse Birmingham, there was nowhere to go to just like party. And to get good food. Mm-hmm. And then, then they did the smartest thing in hospitality, which is you're open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner because that's your, that's your bloodline, right. right? So that you can party at night and make money. Like, so, but what they said is that sidewalks, it was a sidewalk regulation. I was a host at the time. The windows, there are no windows in the summer. So you have people crawling in and out of, I and mean, when they opened, it was a madhouse. Yeah. Uh, so I still used a, a phone and mm-hmm. a list, a handwritten list at the time. It's so. just crazy. The, the restaurant is one spot. The kitchen is across the way. Mm-hmm. The storage is like back in an alley. Mm-hmm. And then across the street is their office. Because they just tried to make it work. Right. And that's the thing. I, I mean, yeah, I it's a it's not ideal for anyone that works there. And it's really hard work. But actually working there is what taught me that all this is, is one of oh. those places that taught me that it's so important. And then Townhouse Detroit opened up and it got a little bit better. And hopefully it'll keep getting better mm-hmm. because hospitality is obviously growing and growing pains. It's That's all it is, so, is growing pains. So when you say better, what's better about Townhouse Detroit versus? They made it so that one elevator shaft was available for us with carts. Who's, so that we us could, is the service staff? The service staff. Okay. I, I was a bartender there at the time. Okay. Um, we had carts and we had a whole level of storage above us. Hmm. Um, and our drafts were also above us, which thank God. Wacky. Because it's, well, it's, it's actually not wacky. It makes way more sense for them to be above you than below you. Most bars have your, your drafts underneath you that's a lot more work for the beer to come up so it Gravity. makes it's a crazy thing man <laughs> science is nuts <laughs> what jason <laughs> i'm just not a beer guy so i don't care one way <laughs> <laughs> i'm a hard-working american i expect my beer to work as hard as <laughs> that means beer opener go yeah. <laughs> um no these are and you know it's not even, it's not about townhouse it's not about any like specific restaurant or anything like or sorry restaurant it's it's not about any of that um it's it's just really more about what are we doing next you, you know what i mean because there's there's a lot of restaurants old school restaurants that are still just killing it like beverly hills grill will never go out of business they're they, always packed always but their design is genius why because anyone that's having a white tablecloth dinner doesn't want to look at someone getting hit on at the bar and that's why that's separated uh, i don't interesting oh it's claus uh, steakhouse is the same way they oh. have two separate they have they have a lounge we went there last night. it's what are you trying we went to there accomplish? last night <laughs> What is your goal? The Skip is a great example of one of my favorite places to go because it is you are immersed in what the bar f- is kind of like de- like they're kind of delegating like this is what you should feel like. <laughs> and that's how I feel. But I also feel like in the winter I can be super intimate there. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. So, you know what I mean? Especially because yep. they open up like a, almost like a, a really awesome adult lemonade stand. Like, you know what I mean? Like in the summertime. So that's what they're portraying. The energy is. That's why everything runs efficiently. That's why it works well. So if you know what I think another big problem is, is that if you don't know what you want your bar to feel like, then you definitely don't know what you want it to look like yet. But you still, but these places still open. They just open. They just want to keep opening. They just want to keep opening. And then they also just want to keep opening. So that lowers your level of experience. That lowers your level of like, you know, caliber of your staff. Who, so More your, training your, is involved. Your level of experience is the guest level of experience? or the, No, I'm or saying the, your um, level of experience of your employees. Okay. So you can hire and, but someone. But, they, but they're treated like they're expected to know these things. And that's where I get bothered. That's why training programs, consulting, design, and actual time that it takes to, to really – Create a concept is extremely important because that is going to be there forever. Your staff will come and go. People change. You know, unless you do it right, you'll find that you'll see the same people being very loyal to establishments that really do put the effort in to do everything that I just talked about. But but training programs are something like that. Most places, like a lot of places, don't have a set training program. Like they, they kind of throw their staff to the wall. Well, I mean, well, I would, eyes, that's, that's like, good. No, because that's good in a way. That's why I was like, because sometimes getting thrown to the wolves is the only way to learn. Just like a kitchen. I mean, bartending is a you know a physical thing, and it's also a creative and artistic thing, and it's also a social thing. So you kind of have to get. You can't. You can read as much as you want about cooking or bartending, and it'll never teach you how to do it. So getting thrown to the wolves is just part of the game. But the more prepared you are, the better, in my opinion. And the more prepared senior employees and management are to handle newer employees, the more that we can retain and train new hospitality individuals in Detroit. Because I find that they come in and they are turned off by like this, like, you know, you know, because a lot of us have been doing it for a long time. And we've been doing it a long time in different ways, like Big Boy or I was a host at Outback. You know what I mean? And if I wasn't busy, like, you know, and they were like, you're a great employee. Why? Because my mother said, if you're a janitor, be the best janitor you can be. So, I mean, I was always windexing menus. And that if that's not trained in, though, you're going to have someone that's just sitting there on their phone waiting around. If you have time to lean, you have time to clean. You have time to clean. I mean, I like it's just that. about training. Oh, the, you've never heard I've never heard that. Oh, you've never worked in retail. <laughs> Sorry about my rant, but, you know. No, that's, no, it's that's not a rant. You, I mean, a... that's that's. You know, so I'm just really passionate about that and just being kind and like doing it in a way, in a hospitable way so that we can keep them. Yeah. And, and, and hopefully introduce them to something that is so magical and something that you can actually grow to love and show them that it's an industry you can grow in. It is an industry that you can grow in. This is not your one stop like shop. I'm going to pay my student loans job. It doesn't have to be. And that's what I really. But, but for, but go, 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 go. For someone like, <laughs> you, but someone like you, like you want to start this experience. Before the construction even starts, exactly. So you want you want a bar to contact you prior to that, and you want to be involved from the design on, like so. And then I leave. And then what? And then I leave. And then no, I'm just. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I cashed the check. <laughs> the whisper in the wind. Um, no, but it's like y- you want to be there to, to say to, to to an owner or someone th- that like, okay, this is gonna look great. It's to ask the questions that what, aren't asked. Is it functional? Right. How do you want to feel when you're when you when you're thinking about this place that you want to open? How do you want the people or you? How do you want to feel when you're there? Do you want it to be people crawling all over each other asking for shots? If you do, I can totally make that happen for you. 
You know what I mean? Or do you want it to be a sit-down craft cocktail bar? Do you want it to be a beer bar? Do you want dancing? Do you want food? Like, you, these are things, like, do you want... They make the decisions as they go. And I, that I've seen... Now I've seen six restaurants open from the ground up. And they're making these last-minute decisions. Because of what someone else told them. Or, like, you need to have food, so we got to make a late-night menu now. Well, we don't have a stove yet. So, uh, and it's like, so these, this is why if you're going to open a restaurant and you've never worked in the hospitality industry and you, you know, that's the hot thing to do or maybe it's just your dream because you're retired, whatever, or you just want to invest in it, I urge everybody to hire a hospitality professional to sit and let them ask them these questions. And that's what consulting is. It's like a little therapy session. <sighs> <laughs> Listen, your ideas are great. They're just bad. <laughs> so what are your feelings on so bar design in general? Like for the get from the guest perspective, what is the ideal shape of a bar? So you have you have straight, you have horseshoe, you have like these kind of funky ass, like zigzag shit. Like what what's the ideal bar shape? Is there one? I have it. It, yeah. I've never seen it. Oh, you've never seen <laughs> it? Like, yeah. Uh-oh. Well, actually, um, and I honestly don't care if someone takes this from me because yeah. I want this to start happening. Uh, I've seen revolving everything in all kinds of machines and businesses. And what I don't know why we don't have is why uh, shelves don't have grooves because we pretty much have like about, I've done my research, 11 different shapes of uh, well bottles and uh, specialty bottles. There's only so many bottle shapes that are out there. So what I think would be very cool is if every single shelf had a groove to put the bottle in and you could actually conveyor and rotate and access from both sides these bottles and turn it kind of like Whoa. the Whitney is very inspiring to me. It was one of my first fine dining experiences with my dad when I was eight years old. It was uh-huh. like, we're going to the Whitney. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and we went to see Phantom of the Opera after. Uh-huh. And it just, you know, it was, I was like, Oh my God, Detroit is so cool. <laughs> um, that way, like, so that's, that's one thing. Um, now if you create three of those, I'm, Honest John's is a great example. I'm all about the way that bar is set up, but I uh, also love a service bar being behind closed doors, like not necessarily closed doors, but not in front of where any guest can walk, just like a kitchen like to pick up your cocktails. Of- so I, it's really, it's really the skinniest oval hmm. you could possibly imagine, and that oval continues into a uh, the bar shelf that also turns and has a conveyor belt, and it's quite simple machinery actually it's actually really cheap if you think about it you're also maximizing your space wow okay so i i (laughs) I don't know if that made sense to you but like (laughs) intrigued me so and i'll use bad luck as an example because bad luck has a a, the bottles are up pretty high that's correct that shit seems dangerous (laughs) and maybe i'm wrong about that but like it's but it's also not the well that's like if no, but I'm saying everything. I want everything to be accessible within. Well, and, and that's that's the point okay. I'm getting from, from yeah. Genevieve is like that, that, that. This this accessibility is an issue for the bartender, right? So and that's my money. The guest is like, <laughs> well, I want that bottle that's like yeah. ten feet and ten feet up there, and you know, Yanni or Chaz is like, yeah, man, like, <laughs> I'll get it for you. Yeah, but is that every time throughout the night? Is it safe as at the beginning of the night as it is at the end of the night? Is safety an issue? Like, and, and is is this the it larger for, issue? It was for me. Safety yeah. was an issue for me. I mean, I, and I'm not trying to call anything out here. I'm just saying, like, from a because it's gorgeous, right? It yeah. looks great, but like, and do you feel bad by ordering that bottle as a customer? No, I don't if it's think busy, so. I, if it, 
Yeah. I mean, maybe not a bad luck, but like I know that sometimes if I see something slammed and I want something on the very top shelf, yeah. I'm not going to ask him nope. for it. There's nope. no way I'm going to do that. So wh- what I want to do is like maximize the profit, give the bartenders the most money they can get, and have people not feel bad about ordering premium spirits. Yeah, I don't. I mean, my perception of the brand of bad luck is that nobody's going to feel different because the bar there is designed to create you know emotions in you, and it's really about um, if you think about sort of the way we talk about it, it's like an alchemist lab or, you know, there's, it's something magical about having the bartender who at bad luck is really, you know, sort of a transformative figure. They're creating this experience for you and to take the time to, you know, get on the ladder and go up and pull from, it's like some of the old great libraries of the world Mm -hmm. that are, gigantic and they would have to pull a tome out and you know a hidden book you gotta you know kind of like maybe you don't need a a a ladder at john k king but you go to a place like that and like you're not afraid to reach for the top because there might be something really great that's in that and that and uh, that's a local bookstore a pretty famous local yeah. bookstore. but i mean i think about some of the other that's kind of that's kind of i think the mentality which it's like you know that everything that's on that back bar is um you know something interesting and unique, and um, and it and it should be there, so, so somebody can go get it. And I think this is a larger point that that you're making too, Genevieve. Is like that these these moments, these bottles, these moments, these this experience is um, has to be well thought out. And, and so, the, the what you just conveyed about bad luck, Jason, is is incredibly well thought out, right? And so you're just not opening a place to open a place and throw some shitty wine up at the top on the top rack of a 10 foot ladder to, you know, just because. And I think that bad luck is the perfect example of a well thought out bar. You know, I I mean, even from the way that the drinks are served and like the way, even, even the way people are trained, to be honest with you, like the way that they're trained and the way that they come in and the respect that I, I know that I have and that the bartending community has for those bartenders and for just the establishment in general, that's a well thought out thing. And hearing that, do you, do you know how happy that makes me? Like to think about it as a library, do you know what I mean? And that's something that uh, like all of those bartenders love what they do. I mean, that's very clear. Like they love what they do. So they would be able to explain if someone were to ask, they'd be able to explain that in my in my um, experience. And this was not a townhouse or anywhere else. This was actually in Chicago. One of my experiences working at a bar in Chicago was why do they do that to you? And I had no answer for them because this was not a part of their vision. It wasn't it was just. What they did, they just put the, all the really premium stuff up top, and I had to, in my black dress when I that I was bartending in, had to go up there and, and get old Forrester nineteen twenty at the time. Like it wasn't even like a big, <laughs> like you know, it was like okay, um, you know, and I, I didn't I hadn't, didn't have an answer for them. So that like hearing you say that so eloquently, like first of all, warm my heart because it, that's awesome that they know that about themselves. They know who they are. But when you don't know who you are and you're making the job harder for people, that's what I want to. That's what I wanted to touch on and what I want to want to get away from, you know. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's a really great point. Is like you know th- that all of this has to be well thought out. Yeah, you can't just like you know throw some money at something and expect it to work. Well, it's also how you keep staff. If your right. staff is miserable because they can't lift a bus tub over a door, they're going to quit. Or yep. if they do, they get in trouble because they get violation. <laughs> right. So, I mean, that helps your staff. I also love the fact that you said, you know, you're not trying to make them miserable. You're trying to help them grow in their career, which is also another great point. We talk about that hospitality can be a career, yep. but it has to be well thought out and it has to be, you know, there has to be room for growth, too. Yep. 
And they have to be appreciated. Yes, 100%. I mean, really. I just feel like it's so hard for people that are like, you know, in college or maybe they're a single mom or whatever to find inspiration in this industry. Mm-hmm. It's so intimidating. If you see, I mean, in Detroit right now, if you go behind a bar and you hear what people are ordering and the fact that that bartender knows all these classic cocktails, modern cocktails, their whole menu, every spirit on the back bar. History of the spirit. The history. Yeah. I mean, they will explain why it's Stiggins pineapple to you. Like, you know, the Charles Dickinson's like, <laughs> like, cause that's what we do. We're nerd. Like we nerd out. Yeah. You know, real, like, you know, people that love to bartend, we nerd out. So it's intimidating. And what I want to do is kind of make it more open so that we can get more people in. I want to bring more people into the hospitality industry because we're kind of short. We're running, right yeah. now. We're running out of people. Yeah. <laughs> and so how can people get a hold of you outside of Oh, fa- any any form of social media. Um, I'm on always as my name. I don't do anything weird like the cocktail crafty lady. Like it's always just, it's just my full name on everything. And for that reason, because I want to be reachable and I want people to be able to talk to me. And I want to, uh, I had some really awesome mentors, uh, in when I was in wine. Yeah. Um, and when I did quartermaster sommeliers and that's what they do, they welcome you with open arms. They tell you, you are going to make mistakes and that it's okay. And I just really like, and, but it's still throwing you to the wolves, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that there are no wrong answers in wine. That's why I started loving whiskey because there's really no wrong answers in whiskey either. <laughs> and that's exactly why I started working for Apple. Unless you talk to wrong some decisions. of the Facebook groups. Wrong yeah. decisions. I don't know about wrong. Uh... Well, no, wrong decisions. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Genevieve, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me and letting me rant. <laughs> You're welcome. Until next time, dine well, friends.